First John chapter four, verses seven through twelve. <clears throat> you guys want to start off this morning right out of the bat by uh, right off the bat by participating. That's what I like to hear. All right. Your part is easy, but you'll be busy. Are you ready? We're going to read the scriptures from verse 7 through 12, and you guys get to say the word love or loved every time it comes. Okay? Here we go. Verse 7, be beloved. Let us love one another, for love is of God. And everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. He who does not does not know God, for God is in this the love of God was manifest toward us that God has sent his only begotten son into the world that we might live through him in this is love not that we loved excuse me not that we loved God but that he us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins be if God so loved us we also ought to one another no one has seen God at any time if we one another, God abides in us and his has been perfected in us. Does anybody have a guess what today's scripture is about? Love. Thirteen times in six verses. That's not even including the beloved. That's uh, if you add that, that's two more times. Fifteen times that you see this word in some form. Agape. The message is about agape love. And if you've been with us, you might be thinking again. Seems like that is kind of a constant theme here with John. And remember, that's amazing when you think about that, that the guy who wrote this is the same guy who went to the Lord Jesus when the message was not received in a certain Samaritan town. And he said, hey, can we bring down fire on these guys and roast them? That's John, the guy who's writing this about agape love. If you're taking notes, you might want to write down four S's. First, we're going to see, verse 7, we're going to see the source of agape love. Then in verse uh, 7 and 8, we're going to see what agape love signifies in us when it's present in us. And what the lack of agape love would signify. So that would be your second S. Your third S is how God has shown us this agape love. And finally, how God wants to show this agape love through us to the world. Okay? Y'all have it? All right. Here we go. Let's start in verse 7. First thing I want you to see is that right from the beginning, our first six words really provide the title or the the cliff notes, if you will, for the message. Verse 7, beloved, let us love one another. The word beloved is agapetos, and it means little loved ones, little favored ones. Doesn't that make you feel good, warm and fuzzy? Little loved ones, little favored ones. This could be the cliff notes for the whole message. Beloved, let us love one another. Uh, you could actually narrow it down to two two words. That's the title of the message today. Beloved, love. And the idea is, and we're going to see this a few times today, that first comes his love for us. And then comes our love. 
This is speaking to Christians, and I hope everyone in the room here is a Christian, that you've given your life to Jesus. You've been born again. And this is saying you are loved. So love. These first six words are a sermon in miniature. They're the cliff notes for today's sermon. Some of you are thinking, so can I leave now? No. If someone asks you today, hey, what did you learn in church today? You can say, beloved, let us love one another. Or you could just say, beloved, love. Instead of the normal blank stare you give them when they ask you that. The overarching message to every Christian today is this. Little children, little loved ones, you are loved. So love. It reminds me of when Jesus said, freely you have received, now freely give. It always starts with God giving, and then he says, now you pass that on. It reminds me of when Jesus said, he who is forgiven much loves much. Now, who in the room today has been forgiven much? Okay, so you have your marching orders. He who is forgiven much loves much. See, it all starts with God not commanding us to love. It starts with God loving us. Let me put it another way. We do not, and I hope you know this by now, we do not love others to earn God's love, but we do love others to return God's love, right? Because he loves us first. We love others to return that love to him. Um, I think probably almost all of you guys know this, but let me go over it again, because I don't think you can have any intelligent discussion about this unless you've covered this. The, the four Greek words for love that are in the Bible, there's eros, right? That's the physical, sexual love. There's phileo, that's brotherly love. It's where we get the word Philadelphia, though you might not know from the crime rate, Philadelphia. <laughs> City of brotherly love. There's the third kind of love in the Bible, storge. That is the family kind of love. That's the love that a mother would have for her son or daughter and a father would have for his son or daughter that, um, well, maybe not brothers. Um, that's eros. There's phileo. There's storge. And then there's this kind of love, agape. All of those other three kinds of love come quite naturally, right? Eros comes entirely too naturally. Phileo comes very naturally with people that you're like-minded with, that you'd like to hang out with, right? Storge comes, should come quite naturally to a family. But then there's this love, agape. It's sacrificial. It's unconditional. It's toward the undeserving, the unlovely. And it only comes from God. All the other kinds of love are quite natural. This is the very opposite, quite unnatural. It's supernatural. See, that's your first S if you're taking notes. Agape love's source is from God. Look at verse 7. <laughs> Beloved, let us love one another for love is of or from God. Last week, how many of you were here last week? What did you learn? Wait, okay. Okay. Um, Hopefully you remember that I challenged you to put love into action, right? Especially with the undeserving, unloving. Remember I said it was going to be a good week for me? 
You were challenged. We were challenged to put love into action. Now, don't raise your hand, but maybe there's somebody in the room who's thinking, well, I tried, but I couldn't do it. It was just too weird. It was too, it just didn't come naturally to me. Well, you're absolutely right. It does not come naturally. Agape love, there's nothing natural about it. It is supernatural. Look at verse 7. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. But according to the Bible, if you're a Christian, you have God within you. So even though it's not natural, it's still doable. So we see agape's source, which is that it's from God. But next, let's look and see what agape love signifies in us when it's in us or says about us when it's not in us. Look at verse seven again. Beloved, let us love one another for love is from God and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. It says born of God. Are you a born again Christian? Hopefully everybody's clear on this, but sometimes people think that a born again Christian is a like a super duper Christian, (laughs) that it's something different than the garden variety Christian. Uh, You you may have heard or or hopefully you haven't, but maybe you've even said, well, I'm, I'm a Christian, but I'm not one of those born again kind of Christians. Well, no, there's no other kind. Either you are born again or you're not a Christian. Jesus said to Nicodemus, you must be born again. See, he's talking about a new birth experience, right? When you became a new creation and your sins were washed away, you became white as snow. Beloved, let us love one another for love is from God. And everyone who agape loves is born of God and knows God. The word knows is gnosko, and it means to know by experience. And what this is saying in that is everyone who shows agape love shows that not only they are born of God, but they are experiencing fellowship with him. And conversely, look at verse eight. He who does not show this agape love does not know God. That is, they show that they are not experiencing God for God is love. Now, I feel like everybody just got fuzzy on me. I don't know why that is, but I'm going to uh, see if, if I can help help make this make sense. Does this mean, verse eight, that if you fail to show God's kind of love, agape love, to every single person that you are not born again. No, look at verse 8 and notice that the phrase born of God was not restated in the negative in verse 8, but that the idea of knowing by experience is restated. Here's what I think John is saying, and hopefully this will clear it up. I think John is saying, look, God is love, right? We're going to see that in just a couple words. God is love. So when you fail to love God's way, You are showing that you are not presently experiencing God's love for you. Does that make sense? Let me say that again. If God is love, when you fail to love God's way, you are showing that you are not presently experiencing his love for you. Let me give you an illustration that should clear it up. If you were to say to me this morning, good morning, Pastor Doug, and I was to say, shut up. then it's safe to assume that I am not presently experiencing fellowship with God. Right? That I am not walking in the knowledge of him by experience. Right? I still might have all sorts of head knowledge. I could still quote you all sorts of scriptures. But if 
if you were to come to me and say that and I was to return that way, you'd be like, okay, something's going on. This guy is not connected to God right now. Verse 8, he who does not love in that agape way does not know or is not experiencing God, for God is love. Let me put it a different way. If today you are experiencing God, if you have experienced God today and his love, that love will rub off on you. See, what agape love reveals in us or shows in us when we have it, when we are operating in it, is that we are currently experiencing the love of God. But what the lack of agape love shows about us is that we are not currently experiencing the love of God. Because, verse 8, the end of it, God is love. I think it's saying, look, if you're if you have a relationship with him that is active right now in the moment, you can't help but be an extension of his love. Now, God is love. Three words. This is where I come to the scriptures and I'm like, it's such a big bite to chew off. Three words. God is love. Try to wrap your head around that. I spent all week and I still feel like I'm just in the shallow end of the pool. God is love. First, let's talk about what it's not. A lot of people, rather than go to church or pursue a relationship with God or read the Bible or any of those things, they just make this their mantra, which is God is love. So I can do whatever I want. God is love. So what they mean is. What they think this means is that God is too loving to condemn anyone, to judge anyone for their behavior or to hold anyone accountable, to expect anything of anyone. What they really mean when some people say God is love, they what they really mean is love is God. Meaning I have placed my idea of what love is or should be on God's throne. Right. Love is God. So now I can basically decide who God is and and what he thinks about me. But think about that when you turn when you just turn those two words around, God is love to love is God. That turns God into a gullible sap who turns a blind eye to evil, right? That says that that turns God into a man that would say to that turns God into someone who would say to a man who murdered your family member. Oh, it's no big deal. Don't worry about it. That that can't be right. God is holy. He's just, right? See, if you make love your God, then the problem is whose idea of love is that God, right? Because the wrong kind of love can lead to disaster. Found this uh, story this week. If the saying goes, if as the saying goes, love is blind, some lovers might want to reconsider getting behind the wheel of a car. On Wednesday, Brian Schaefer proposed marriage to his girlfriend, Christy Burchick, at a scenic overlook in Washington County, Pennsylvania. She said yes. A short time later, later at 8.40 p.m., Schaefer was driving with Burchick when he leaned over for one more kiss, the Philadelphia Inquirer reported. Taking his eyes from Route 40 proved unwise. The next thing Schaefer knew, his Dodge pickup was careening toward a head-on collision with an oncoming car. He leaned over and gave me a peck. The next thing I know, a car is coming toward us. Sensing he had too little time to avoid the accident, Schaefer threw himself onto Burchick's lap, rather than steer the car, to, 
to try to shield her from the impacts. He's showing his love. Um, inside the other vehicle, a horrified family. A father, his son, and stepdaughter watched helplessly as Schaefer's truck sped toward them. Now, thankfully, there were no deaths here, but there were some uh, fairly serious injuries. And I think this illustrates what we call love is could be misguided and could be uh, heading, heading you for collision. So it's really important not to say love is God, but to understand what he means when he says God is love. The end of verse 8 does not define God by our idea of love. It does not say love is God, but it does say, and this is huge enough to try to fathom, God is love. Have you ever taken the time to just try to begin to wrap your head around those words? God is love. Have you ever thought that what that means is that everything he does, everything he allows, even in your life, is because of love? It's a huge life-changing concept if you'll receive it. Everything he does, every single thing he allows in this fallen world expresses his love, shows that he loves you. You're thinking everything? Now understand, God is not actively doing things that you might necessarily think are painful, but because he's in charge... There are things that he allows and we think, do you love me? I mean, everything that God does shows his love for us. I mean, even the painful, even the difficult, even the scary. I can't think of another way to illustrate this, but I keep coming back to, and I think this is God ordained, the, the father and the son relationship, right? Look, when I discipline my sons, is it because I don't love them? It's because I do. In fact, I'm showing my love for them by disciplining them. They don't understand that right now, do they? Right, that whole, this is going to hurt me more than it hurts you. They, they don't understand that this discipline truly is not easy for me, but it is necessary. Maybe I'm speaking to someone this morning, and you're in God's woodshed. He loves you. It's not because he doesn't. It's because he does. When I allow my sons to face disappointment that I know they can handle so that they won't be waylaid, caught by surprise by a disappointment that perhaps they can't handle down the road, have I quit loving them? No. I happen to know stuff that they don't know. If anyone's facing disappointment, you don't know what your father knows. What about scary things? Fathers, when you, when you taught your son or your daughter to ride a bike, was that scary? For them and probably really for you, right? But you allowed it. Was that because you did not love them or because you did? So it is with our Father in heaven, right? He disciplines 
He allows the difficult circumstances. He even allows the scary scenarios. He allows all sorts of stuff that I don't like, that I would rather not experience. And here's the thing. If if I'm speaking to you, and I'm sure I am, when that happens, and maybe that's your story right today, when that happens, you only have two choices. You only have two perspectives that you can choose from. Either he is doing it not in love, right, that he's doing it out of neglect, just asleep at the wheel, or he's allowing it because he's irritated with you, or he's allowing it because he's vengeful. Either it's because he does not love you or it's because he does love you. I want to point out to you these three words again. God is love. What does that mean? In every single circumstance. This is the right perspective. God is love. He can't do anything different than show you love. First John 4, 8 tells you which of those two perspectives is the real one. That he loves you. God is love and everything he does, everything he allows reflects his love for you. If if we'll actually believe this, and it is a choice, you have to decide. If you'll if you'll actually believe this, your whole perspective on life, on all of the disappointments, the setbacks, the pink slips, all of it will change. But let me go further on the other side. If you don't believe it, if you refuse to believe it, if you're not willing to believe it, then I think you'll never really experience the love of God the way he intends for you to. And if this text is true, which it is, you also won't be able to show agape love because you don't get it yet. You're not experiencing it. Now, maybe you're thinking, well, I, I want to be I want to believe that all that God allows in my life is truly because he loves me. Maybe you're thinking, okay, I want to believe it, but here's the deal. It really seems to me if he really loved me. He wouldn't ask me to go through this. I mean, if you really love me, Lord, if you really love me, you would answer this prayer. Surely. Maybe you're thinking, look, you don't know how long I've been praying or struggling or suffering. It seems that if he loved me, he would take away this disease or this circumstance. Pastor Doug, you say that God loves me even in my circumstances I want to believe you, but how in the world can I know for sure? Verse 9. In this, the love of God was manifested. That means to make visible, obvious. In this, the love of God was shown to you, toward us. That God has sent his only begotten son into the world that we might live through him. In this is love. Not that we loved God but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Everybody say propitiation. Propitiation. Gesundheit. Okay, what propitiation means is this. It's the the payment that makes things right. It's the thing that that is needed to appease. Um, In a court of law, this would be that sum that is needed to reconcile uh, to the offended party, right? Uh, the judgment of $3 million goes for, for the uh, plaintiff uh, from the defendant, right? That would be the propitiation, the thing that is necessary to make 
uh, reconciliation. So in our case, the judgment is against us. We're defendants, and the, the judgment is death, right? The wages of sin is death. And Jesus' death on the cross is our propitiation. He came and he paid our debt for us. His death is the payment and it's the cure. Now, I shared this illustration back when we were in John chapter 3. But I wanted to share it again just to remind you. I I took a different take on this uh, first service. Let me see if I can go slightly different today. How many of you guys have ever played that game Sim City or something like that? Not sin, sim city. It's about simulated. Okay, so I'm I'm actually not. I haven't ever played it, but it seems to me it's about like you can build your own little world. I guess basically on the computer, and and you can either wipe them out or keep them alive or whatever. You got kind of get to play God a little bit, I guess. Imagine that you build a, a city inside the computer, but through some amazing circumstance, these the people in this computer are real. But they're tiny, right? They're really real. And something goes wrong. There's some uh, created being inside the SimCity that uh, decides that he wants to create havoc. And he creates a virus. And everybody in the whole uh, community is taken out by this virus. I mean, they're all dying one by one, either slow or slowly or quickly. Imagine you say you take your teenage son say we're going to jump in the computer and we're going to go and these beings that we've created we're going to go and uh and and see what we can do about this uh, you you come to a, a town of, of villagers and you find out that from from their perspective because of some stupid act of one of their ancestors there's this deadly disease and it's running rampant and it's killing everyone and you 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 go and, and the physician says to you, uh, who, you know, he has no idea how, who, who you are, but he says to you, in the midst of this crisis, look, the only cure is for a blood transfusion from somebody from the outside, and you're from the outside. And you say, okay, what do we need to do? Uh, well, we need the, the, the blood, and uh, how much? Well, all of it. And then this person were to say to you, okay, but, but we understand that if... Uh, if you were to allow your, your son to die, we can guarantee you, though, that he'll be he'll be raised again in three days. What would be the difficult part for you as the father, your son, the teenager willing to do it? You know that he's he's going to uh, come back to you. But the difficult part, wouldn't it be to see your son in, in great anguish and pain to wait for his heart to stop beating him to quit breathing and the light to be extinguished from his eyes. Then what if when that was accomplished, the people came back to you and said, well, that was really great. But do you love us? Look at first John chapter four, verse nine. In this, the love of God was manifested, made visible, obvious toward us that God has sent his son, his only begotten son, his only one into the world that we might live through him. I question to you and it's cutting. It's it goes deep. It goes deep to me, too. Is that not enough? Is what he's done for us not enough? 
Why is it that we doubt his love for us in current circumstances when he already gave his precious boy that we might live? Another way to phrase it is what more could he possibly do? I'm including myself here, but isn't there something supremely ungrateful for saying thanks for the forgiveness of sins and the eternal life thing, but do you have any more chicks in that bag? Do you ever, I, I confess this to, um, to the folks in the first service, do you ever find yourself saying, Lord, don't you love me? Do you realize that what this is saying is, uh, what more can I do? The Bible says, greater love has no man than this, that he lay down his life, and Jesus says, for his friends. For him to give up all that he's given up and then to call us friends, what more truly can we ask for? Verse 10, in this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Verse 10 is another reminder, again, of the order of things, guys, that. God first loves us. Then we love in response, not the other way around. He is the initiator. He's the proactive person in this. He did not wait for us to love him or to be worthy of his love. If he did, he would have been waiting a long time. He loved us while we were still yet sinners. The Bible says Christ died for the ungodly. We do not earn his love when we show agape love. We return his love. So we've seen agape's love source. It only comes from God. We've seen what agape love signifies in us when it's present in us, that we are experiencing God in the moment. We've seen this love shown to us in an extraordinary way when we did not deserve it. Now, verse 11, let's look and see how he intends to show it to the rest of the world. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. Again, same same concept. You see, beloved, it starts off with the fact that you are loved. Beloved, you are loved, so you love. It starts with this word, little ones, favored ones. But the key word in verse 11 is so. What's that word so? It creates a, a correlation between the first phrase and the second phrase. Beloved, if God loved us this way, if he so loved us, we also ought to love one another. If, if God showed his love by giving up his son for us, then we also ought to love each other sacrificially, right? We also ought to love the other person when they do not deserve it, just as God loved us when we did not deserve it. And again, the order of the phrases accentuates this point. How many of you want to be more loving toward others? Okay, some of you are like, no. If you want to be more loving toward others, again, we keep coming back to this. Is it a matter of you working harder? So I'm just going to work harder to love others. I don't think so. Look at verse 11. It starts off with these words. Beloved, if God so loved us. See, look, if you de-emphasize the first few words of verse 11, then all you hear is this. We ought to love one, or one another sacrificially. How would that, how's that working for you? If, you? if we came in and I skipped everything else and I said, you ought to be loving each other sacrificially, go, deal with it. 
if that's what you hear in that verse, you're sunk. If instead the, the main thing that you hear, the first thing, the pri- priority, the predominant thing is beloved. You are so loved. If God so loves us and he does, then we ought to love one another. The word ought again is mean, literally to owe. We owe this love. And interesting enough, we, I don't believe that the Bible says we owe it to each other. No, we owe it back to God. We are returning that love back to him when we, uh, when we agape love, when we love sacrificially to one another. So he's saying, basically, if you hear this, this phrase, little loved ones, do you realize how much God loves you? If so, then go and share that love. Okay, verse 11. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. Now look at verse 12. <clears throat> no one has seen God at any time. No one has seen God the Father at any time. Jesus, the whole book of John is about the fact that Jesus came and showed us God, right? God with skin on. Jesus is love incarnate. For three and a half years, it was the most glorious time the world had ever seen, right? Jesus, God with skin on, showing what that perfect love is all about. But now, where is Jesus? Well, he's everywhere, but he's at the right hand of the Father, and he is invisible these days, right? Invisible to the human eye. So how in the world is the world supposed to see God? Through us, right? Through the love in us. The way they will see God in us today is through us. Verse 12, no one has seen God at any time. But if we love one another, God abides in us. And his love has been perfected in us. The word perfected means completed. I think what he's saying is this. Look, when we love one another... And some of you took that challenge last week and maybe you haven't haven't followed through with it or maybe you tried and it hasn't worked out the way you thought it was. But when we love each other sacrificially, when we take the risky step of uh, asking forgiveness or granting forgiveness or saying, hey, we need to talk because there's something between us. When we take that step and show agape love, we complete the picture of what God is trying to show here on earth and that his is his sacrificial love let me close with this many of you live and work with people who will never read the gospel of john they have no desire to read the gospel of mark or the gospel according to luke or the gospel according to matthew but they will every day be reading the gospel according to you If we love one another humbly, sacrificially, then what they see is God abiding in us. Even though he's invisible, they still see him every day. And when that happens, some of them will mock you and reject you because you speak a language that is not of this world. But some of them will hear you and they will respond and be changed from death into life. Let's pray.